0: I'm LZ Granderson, and this is Life Out Loud. Growing up, I always found peace on the basketball court, which is a bit ironic considering the basketball court is also where I found the most homophobia. In church, you know, I'd hear a scripture here or an abomination there, school was mostly ew. But growing up in Detroit the basketball courts were as much about survival as they were about the games. And part of surviving meant eating the weak. Black gay men, we were considered the weak. It was a message I heard repeatedly from my friends, family, the music I listened to. Even as an adult, you know, I can remember playing ball in Atlanta one day and hearing DMXs where the hood at.
1: The X, X. Last I heard- was having sex with the same sex I show no love to
0: now that's not meant to talk bad about him or hip-hop only to highlight how elaborate the labyrinth is at one point you know i didn't even think i was gay because i was good at ball and i had come to believe that the two realities could not coexist in the same body i had to make a choice so i chose the game a lot of brothers did a lot of brothers still do
2: What's up, people? I'm Carl Nassib. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now.
0: When Carl Nassib came out, thus becoming the first openly gay active player in NFL history, I cried. Not so much for me or for him, but for those kids who believed, as I once did, that you needed to choose between your passions and your truth. Um, I
2: actually hope that, like, one day, Videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary.
0: Sid Ziegler and Jim Bozinski started Outsports.com to help those kids. NBA Hall of Famer Steve Nash and Grant Hill did PSAs to help those kids. And when Carl Nassif came out, he talked about those kids. You know,
2: I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. They're the number one suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth in America.
0: On this episode of Life Out Loud, I am joined by Jason Collins, the first active player in the NBA to come out, Super Bowl winner and ally Keyshawn Johnson, and Rick Welts, the first NBA team president to come out. We all talk about the challenges of being openly game the big three sports. This conversation took place before Call NASA came out and before the NFL's Football is Gay promotion video, which surprised a lot of people except for Keyshawn who thinks the league is catching up on the topic. As the father of a queer daughter, Key and I would talk a lot about homophobia, transphobia, and LGBTQ rights on our radio show together. And so some of the shenanigans you may hear, well, that's just us being us. In fact, Key and Jason knew each other growing up as well, so there's actually a lot of shenanigans on this episode. When was the first time you were aware of something other than straight? Jason? Jason? It really hit home for me when my
2: uncle came out and I was around 15 years old. Uh, Every summer, we would spend a a month out of every summer with each of our grandparents, uh, one pair being in the Bay area and the other one in upstate New York. And my uncle uh, lived in upstate New York and we were there as a family visiting. And he had this big conversation, but my grandmother, my my paternal grandmother, asked that my brother that the, uh, and me that we leave the room. So we didn't get to hear the whole coming up, but we heard sort of aftermath, and we heard how other family members, um, aunts, uncles, cousins, would talk about my uncle uh, behind his back. And at that point, at fifteen, sixteen years old, I. I I knew that I had different feelings. Um, and I didn't quite exactly know, like, okay, am I gay? And if I am, are they going to talk about me the same way they're, they're talking about my uncle right now, Uncle Mark? And I just uh, it, it scared the hell out of me. Um, and, and but I'm so thankful that my Uncle Mark uh, did come out because he he made my coming out so much easier because my family was like, okay, we've already been down this path. We're not going to take years to get over this had a test run already. <laughs> yeah. I already had the test runs, <laughs> like, the, the, wow. the, the, the knuckleheads in the family who were, were stubborn. And, 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 and to those people who are listening out there, yes, they're the same people who might, you know, when you do come out, um, might immediately uh, hit you with rejection. It just might take them some time to, you know, to get to acceptance.
0: Do you think you may have come out earlier if the conversation about Uncle Mark would have been more positive?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, it would have allowed me to come out and not be so hesitant to come out to certain family members. Yes, definitely sooner. and, and thankfully, you know, over the years, you know, that we've all had those moments of, you know, being at family gatherings um, where those family members have had a chance to apologize to him uh, for that. Um, so mind you, this is when I was 15. By the time I'm uh, 17, 18, 18 years old, graduating from high school. Yes. Yes. Keyshawn at Harvard, Westlake. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, my my uncle, Mark. Uh, brought his new boyfriend to my high school graduation. Flew out from New York with his new boyfriend, Tony, who would go on years later to be his husband. So it was really cool to see um, that even in those three years that you know, that there was some growth uh, in, the, in the family
0: rick
3: well uh i've got a i've got a great uncle bob story that uh, jason and i both come from very close-knit families but uh but that wouldn't be the answer to the question you asked and, I, and lz i'm really going to tell this story that i've never told publicly before so i think i always like since a like a really little kid had very had sexual questions um and there was a we were living in an apartment complex on lake washington in seattle and my best friend was a kid my age and uh we jumped into a, like, it's called a window well. It has a window into the basement, and there was the laundry down there. And, you know, he and I, I would say, as probably four-and-a-half, five-year-olds, maybe were inappropriately touching, as my mother would say. Uh, and my mom walked into the laundry room. And she immediately had me, uh, you know, walk over to our apartment where my infant baby sister was and she explained to me very thoughtfully that that's not what happens that this is what the girl parts look like and this is those are different than boy parts and and the boys don't touch the boy parts the boys will eventually be interested in the girl parts can you believe that i never told that story so right from the beginning it was that's wrong this is right and that kind of uh you know, obviously set a tone of concern for me about the feelings I would eventually develop. I did have an uncle Bob too. My, my dad's older brother, uncle Bob was a doctor in San Francisco, the coolest guy ever, uh, used to get to go hang out with him. He was always single, um, and always had, you know, beautiful homes, went on great trips, always would want to grow up to be uncle Bob and uncle Bob, uh, when I finally had the conversation with my parents at age 26, my mother looked at me, it's like, why would you think we would have a problem? Your, you know, your uncle Bob is gay. What are you <laughs> <laughs> like? That would have been, they loved him so much. That would have been such useful information as a teenager <laughs> that I would have felt uh, a lot different about my family. Had I known that at the time.
0: You know, yeah. That's the thing, man. Like, so oftentimes we're so busy being quiet and silent about this conversation that we're not realizing what our silence is actually saying to people and you know key, you and I talk about this a lot because you also have family members um growing up uh, who identified as queer as well, right
1: yeah uh, yeah, definitely I mean you know my my oldest sister she identified and she went back and forward though so. but I think it's just one of those things where I was a little bit older at the time that I realized the situation. My niece that I love dearly is also part of the community and that's my girl. And, you know, she came to me first out of everybody. And I can see the pain in her face about, much like jason was talking about people talking behind the back of the family talking behind the back of his uncle this went on with my niece the family was always talking behind her back oh I don't know why she bringing a girl over here why is she bringing girls over here? you know just all that stuff that goes on and then later on my daughter who happened to pass away Maya was also uh in that community and she felt like at times like i wasn't she didn't really get it she thought i wouldn't be supportive of it and i had to tell her the same thing i'm like look you my daughter no matter what the situation is if you marry him or you marry her or you adopt or you have a child i'm gonna love you your kids and everybody else as the same because my mind doesn't even go there anymore i'm not you're not dealing with a 14 year old kid that really was scared of gay people because that's what I was told to be scared. I was told that the guy that worked at the liquor store who owned the liquor store was a pedophile because he was gay. And so when you're told that when you grow up, you kind of push back. And then once you learn that, wait a minute, man, that's not even what this is, you become smarter, more educated, And you learn, it's not a, you know how people say, I learned to accept it. It's not an acceptance to me. It's a way of people's lives. This is who people are. It's not a, oh, I accept it. It's like, well, no, no, you don't, it's not an acceptance. It's a reality. And this is who people are. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. We all
0: knew, know, have grown up around queer people. In our families, our friends, our teachers, as Key just said, you know, the guy that runs the liquor store, own the liquor store in the neighborhood. So why haven't we had more openly gay men in the big sports if queer presence is everywhere?
1: The big sports, in my eyes, are considered and deemed as macho, is deemed as tough all of those sort of things and for so long people were always afraid if they came out and said that they were gay that a lot would be lost from endorsements to opportunity to even make the team so to speak and i've known guys in my locker room that i've suspected or i've seen certain things but it ain't none of my business the only thing i can tell them man, be who you are um And I was going to support him regardless. And as I've always said, if you can play, that's all I can you play. If you can play, you can have a whole cheering section in all pink if that's what you decide to do. I don't give a damn. Can you help me win? And are you a good person? And if you can help me win and you're a good person, I don't care because I don't know what half these people go home and do any damn way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I, I I To echo Keyshawn's sentiment, and um, and I'm in you know touch with, I'm sure, uh, maybe a couple other guys on this uh, call are also in touch with some closeted athletes, but they're um, they're just a- afraid of taking that that, that final step uh, for whatever reason. Some of it has to do with family stuff. Some of it has to do with, um, you know, the fear of what the reaction is going to be from the owner, to the general manager, to the coach, to, you know, on down the line to your teammates. I was actually a little surprised that after, you know, watching the response that I had and also uh, if you look in, in Major League Soccer with Robbie Rogers, he also had success. You know, my team going to the playoffs, uh, if anything, it brought our team closer together. Uh, when you're on a good team and your brother is, you know, does it, makes this announcement, you know, you rally around your, your your brother and you support him. And in my first 12 games back in the league, we went 10 and two, uh, and and ended up, you know, going to the playoffs, beating Toronto in Game Seven in Toronto, in that first round. And then Robbie goes on and, and wins the MLS Cup with the LA Galaxy. So I was expecting that there was going to be more and more uh, people, uh, male athletes, stepping forward um but once again you know women have been leading the way um one of my idols growing up was Martina Navratilova because she came out and was still you know winning titles um and again we see more and more WNBA players uh women soccer players I mean Sue Bird Megan Rapino, uh Elena Deladon I mean the list goes on and on Diana Taurasi women, uh, Brittany Griner, stepping forward and speaking their truth and still succeeding uh, in their sport. Uh, so I hope uh, the guys out there know that if, and when they choose to step forward, that there is uh, support waiting to accept them, um, or to, uh, just, you know, uplift them. And so that they can keep on, continue doing their, doing what they love to do. But, you know, it's a big question as to why there haven't been more, uh, male athletes to step forward.
3: I, if I could jump in on that too, build on, on what Jason was saying. Um, you know, I, I love sports my whole life. That was the currency my dad and I had in our relationship—going to games and talking about sports. I, I and I always knew I was different, but and I could never see a role model out there who I could relate to, who gone, who come out obviously and had a great experience. That's why me too. I'm a little surprised after Jason, after Robbie, like we haven't haven't seen more athletes being prepared to take that but I you know I go back I'd be curious what uh, Keyshawn or, or Jason think of this I was on a talk show shortly after I came out in 2011 with a former NBA player uh, Tom Tolbert has a talk show in San Francisco and you know his his theory which which I think there's some substance to the delicate chemistry that creates a successful uh, team uh, is just that—it's incredibly fragile and incredibly delicate. And you know, his theory was like more than being afraid of what my teammates might think, or or even maybe what the economic impact might be on my career. You know, I don't want to be a disruptive force in that. I don't want to bring that attention on me and into the locker room and into the media that that becomes our team story. You know, I'm, I, I want to be a teammate. I want to I want to help us win. And he saw that. And I've always wondered, you know, I'd be curious from the guys who've been there, um, you know, how much of a, a factor that might be in, in preventing uh, a male athlete, uh, a prominent male athlete from coming out.
0: I got to tell you, Rick, that just feels like straight garbage to me. It really does. Yeah. When I think about yeah. the men who beat women and they find place in the <laughs> locker room, when I think about yes. the men who, you know, commit other crimes and yet they find comfort in the locker room, I just find that rationale to be missing um, some validity.
1: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's one of those deals, Rick, where, can't, again, it goes back to can you play? Can you help us win? Because if you came out and, and you were a star player, not even a star player, a player who could help somebody win. That story is a couple days. Oh, he's gay. He came out, da, da 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 da. Oh, God, we knew it all along, blah, 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 blah. But that's two days, that's three days, and it goes away, and people play sports. But if he was a good football player, you wouldn't have any issues at all. I promise you. You would have any issues at all.
2: I think. Uh, It comes down to if you're on a good team versus a bad team. Um, Like I said before, if you're on a good team, your teammates will rally around you. Absolutely.
0: Rick, this conversation though isn't just about the men on the field, on the diamond, on the court, but it also extends to in the office, in the C-suites of these franchises. You know, you're set to retire at the end of the season from the Golden State Warriors, congratulations. (laughs) But once you do, correct me if I'm wrong, the number drops back down to zero in terms of opening gay team presidents. Um, Not to suggest that there are closeted team presidents but do you feel as if there is a clear pipeline so that if someone was openly gay and wanted to be an executive for a professional sports team that that pipeline will be uninterrupted?
3: And that's the big question each of those people is asking themselves, right? And uh, just because of the way my story unfolded, I get to talk to a lot of those people who are in a position where they're not comfortable whether or not coming out in their organization is going to impede the opportunities that they have in front of them to in on the management side of sports. And you know, just as I would hope that Jason's coming out would have spurred more players being confident in taking that step. You know, frankly, I'm a little disappointed it hasn't. You know, at my at the at the team president level, done that. Certainly, I think it's changed dramatically the last decade uh, in our organizations. And I have a lot of you know really positive stories to tell about executives who have come out in their team organizations uh, but not not at the presidential level and that you know again that 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 is that's a step that I would love to see someone else take but it's it's the one that uh, you know I'm not sure about I could tell one story maybe like that, that I was really uh, happy to have done what I did you know we had a we had the incident uh, in Charlotte uh, hadn't been awarded an NBA all-star game um, and at the sa- shortly thereafter, the state of North Carolina passed this terribly discriminatory legislation called HB2. North Carolina's
1: bathroom bill says people can only use the bathroom in public and government buildings that matches the sex listed on their birth certificate. Opponents call it discrimination against LGBT people. Supporters say it's about safety.
3: And the league was the first league to be put in position of making a decision about, should we go forward hosting the All-Star game in Charlotte? and. Uh, it was it was you know we love our team in Charlotte Michael Jordan owns the team in Charlotte uh, you know my counterpart Fred Woodfield's a rock star there but we had to make a decision and we had a Board of Governors meeting in, in July in Las Vegas and uh, Adam Silver came over to me before and said I'm gonna let you have the last word on this and uh so we kind of go around the room everybody says what they're going to say and adam called on me and i could look at the other owners uh of teams and say look you know i I just want you to have one thing in mind i'm in contact with people in your organizations many of you who are not yet comfortable to bring their their authentic self to work Uh, and they're going to be watching and judging like based on what you decide here how you feel uh, about inclusion how you feel about your LGBTQ employees and wow. you know proudly the, they did the right thing and we didn't go to charlotte we did go back to charlotte when the legislation was changed you know we got to do stuff like that we got we got to take those opportunities to talk about it and make a statement and and stand up for it and i think you know for me that was a blessing to be in a position where where i could have some influence there
2: And can I just say how proud I am of Rick for doing that? Just because so many of us uh, in the community, we're not in the room where it happens, kind of to quote Hamilton. Uh, But those people who are in in that room where the decisions are made for them to speak up and use their voice and Rick did that on behalf of the entire community. And um, it, it was huge because of the NBA deciding to change. That then started the NCAA, and it was sort of like a chain reaction in the sports world. Um, but a lot of that, is, and Rick deserves a lot of credit for, for using that his voice in that room.
0: Thanks, Jason. You know, that is the first step, you know, towards inclusion, listening to the people in the room. But the second step, the one that worries me most, is happens, what is said, what are the policies put in place? When, they're, when we aren't in the room? In other words, do we feel as if the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, do we feel as if these leagues are prepared to make those type of decisions without having an LGBTQ person in the room helping them navigate those waters?
2: So this is where allies are huge. This is where... The Keyshawns of the world, those people. Yeah, Key. Man, every time I try to help y'all, all all y'all
1: do is try to come on to me. (laughs) Here you go. Here you go. I go to Pride. I go march with (laughs) you in Pride, and the first thing they want to do is put glitter on me. (laughs) That was one kid,
0: Jason and Rick, wanted to put glitter on him, and he made it the whole parade. (laughs) So, and and
2: it's it's tough because as members. Of the community, I, I always think about being uh, because of my experience at Harvard, Westlake, and other institutions like that, where you are maybe the only or one of a, a of a couple uh, minorities in the room.
1: In anything, in, in walks of life, when especially in corporate America and decisions that's being made, if if you don't have those allies in the room, things could just just go over. I mean, you know, for simply just shooting commercial. And if somebody's not in the room that can identify or that's not right, people just sign off on it. Like, oh yeah, it's the right thing to do. And then it gets out into the open marketplace and they go, well, was anybody in the room to screen that to be able to say, that's not right? You know, and that's the same thing what you're talking about there. Is anybody in the room that's able to say, well, what does that mean? Can that person help us advance to where we wanna be as an organization? Can he advance or she does? Can they help us?
2: And that's all that matters. So I'd love to tell a quick story. I think maybe Rick, you've heard this story before, (laughs) but it it involves my brother. Uh, The Warriors had a a road game and during one of the timeouts, they had the kiss cam going. And at the end of the kiss cam segment, they flashed to the uh, Warriors bench and the PA announcer was saying, to, you know, go ahead, get a little closer. You know, you want to give him a kiss crowd starts laughing. And then my brother is sitting there watching this and like, this is a gay joke. At the end of the day, this is a gay joke. This is wrong. So the warriors end up winning the game because back then they had a really good team. <laughs> and he goes up to the, uh, to the PA announcer and to the head of in-game and says, do you realize that that segment, what the message is that you're sending there and that you're, you're encouraging people to laugh at two men who get, you know, to, and that this is a gay joke and this is wrong. Well, that PA announcer and that head of in-game entertainment for that organization, um, they were very dismissive of my brother and my brother ended up cussing them out. <laughs> uh hey, in the locker Jared? room yeah jaron the, the allies. So this is, this is where you need allies and um he told he told he's like hey steve he goes you know to his boss he's like hey i, I might have done something right and steve steve was totally cool if, if anybody knows steve steve's like the, he's the, the ultimate ally so steve was like you did what you had to do <laughs> so jaron told me about that and this by this point i'm you know working uh for the nba and my boss uh, I had a, I was actually in New York for meetings, and I had just happened to have a, a meeting the next day with Kathy Behrens, uh, who is uh, a president, a vice president um, in the league, president of player programs. Um, so I told her about what happened. The next day, the president of that organization called my brother to apologize to him for what happened and said that that will never happen again. Um, a few months later, I go to an event in Washington, D.C., and I'm speaking, and there's uh, th- that particular team's organization, the head of their philanthropy uh, group is there. And I, when they say that, you know, they work for this team, I say, oh, my brother had an interesting interaction with your, your team <laughs> recently. And that's when that person said, that was your brother can you please thank him? Because I've been going to games and that person is a member of the community, but they were hesitant to say something. But because my brother being an ally spoke up and that person was just so thankful that my brother did that mm-hmm. and that they didn't have to you know, see that anymore while going to their job. And, and I think that speaks to a couple of things. The, the first thing is, a, allies, huge, using your voice and platform. B, that sometimes when you are that minority in the group, in, in the room, you don't always feel comfortable speaking up constantly o- over and over again. And that's, again, why you need those allies too. Third thing, the NBA isn't necessarily aware of every single thing that happens in an arena, but if they do, <laughs> fine, things can change very quickly. And we I think we are the most, um, Responsive league uh, with regards to any kind of situation like that, um, that we can instantly impact change very, very quickly. So I'm very proud that our league, uh, our team, uh, that you know, that ultimately, you know, the right thing ended up happening. But it was it took an ally using their platform and their voice to get it to happen.
3: That's a great story. I, this isn't you know a tribute to the NBA today, but I will say I do believe the answer to your question uh lz is yes the nba as a league organization is ready to do whatever it takes and uh you know i, I you know i i love that i have been on a new york city pride float going through yes. pride today with, with the commissioner of the league gay referee uh, myself and others and hundreds of nba employees I'm, I'm not sure the other leagues uh have replicated kind of the commitment to uh to inclusion and
1: diversity that the nba has no I don't, the nfl certainly has not uh gone down that track right i mean it just i, I think in time it will like how but much has, time right now i just don't like, see like, it.
0: because the nfl has been around you know like what 60
1: years <laughs> i want to say over 100 103 years or something like that
0: you got 103 years how much more time i just need to write it down so i can put it on the calendar
1: it, it, it's just, I, I think they're going to head down that track eventually, though, LZ. You know how, you, come on, man. Um, they tolerate certain things that other leagues wouldn't tolerate. You know, I think it's seen such as more of a macho sport that people look at gay as non macho when you're talking about male. They just do. It's not right. It's stupid. It's illiterate. You, you think about it, LZ you would never think LZ was gay if you didn't know you just if you didn't know you would never even think of it but they tend to think gay is soft and all that sort of stuff because they're not educated enough to know nor will they try to get themselves educated even though they may have family members some I'm sure some of their grandsons and 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 sons may even have crossed that before but they ain't gonna never let you know because they don't, they 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 feel ashamed, or they don't want people to know for whatever reasons.
0: Yeah. Um, now, key when you when you said yeah. that people view the NFL as macho, when you say macho, I hear toxic. I hear toxic masculinity. I hear a caricature of manhood, um, and not macho. And I say this because you know I've been covering sports for a really long time and you know, time and time again, I am always befuddled by the antics I see on camera versus the men that I see off field, off the court. In other words, there feels as if the culture of the sport requires a certain level of theatrics um, that the men themselves who perform the theatrics aren't really connected to, but they feel they need to perform these theatrics in order to be accepted within the culture of those sports, particularly in the NFL. Um, what can we do to change that culture so that whether you want to call it macho, I call it toxic masculinity, whatever people want to call that element, um, that dynamic, what can be done to change it? Because it seems to me, the guys don't even want to do it.
1: You think about what you just said, they are on to something because guys still when they retire still play the role it's like you're no longer a football player man you don't have to act like you have to be this tough guy and and you say how can you change it you change it by somebody who is openly gay decides that you know what i'm tired of living a certain way and got too much stress on my brain i don't give a damn i'm good and then let them see him cut me and see how they survive you gotta have somebody like that and then once you get somebody like that come out in the situation then because everybody in the nfl they wait three or four five six seven years and they retired and they finally say something somebody has to be active and good and i think if they're active and they're good it'll open up so many doors it'll be ridiculous they just get scared lz i don't know why they just get
0: but well, it feels like that really speaks very highly of what Jason did. Jason Collins is making history with these simple words.
3: I'm a 34-year-old NBA center, I'm black, and I'm gay. You always knew you were gay?
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I sort of describe it as you, you know that the sky is blue, but you keep telling yourself that it's red.
0: Um, I believe he came out in, in 2013, Jason? Yeah, and 2013. Then... And then you, you yeah, I mean, weren't signed until like February of 2014. Exactly. Um, yep. But you weren't an all-star. You weren't a franchise no. player. You're not a hall of famer. You're a role player. Yep.
2: Yes. Yeah. But that was my, my, it was sort of what I wanted my reputation. My legacy was to be that the pros pro the, uh, the ultimate teammate, the guy that would do everything to help the superstars be even better than they were, uh, the guy would do everything to help to do the dirty work. Um, but i reached a point in my private life where i basically said F- it like i am tired of the stress uh and the anxiety and lying and, and, and the pressure like as professional athletes we have so much pressure <laughs> to deal with anyways like having that added uh pressure i just got tired of it I, I i came out to just about everybody in my private life so i knew i had their love and support so i was like okay i I want to come out publicly.
3: So you send this thunderbolt out into the world. Yeah. Twelve hours later, how does it feel? Uh,
2: It's incredible.
3: What do you say to the 12-year-old boy who's out there practicing right now, wants to be a pro ball player, and happens to be gay?
2: It doesn't matter that you're gay, but the key thing is that it's about basketball. It's about working hard. It's about sacrificing for your team.
3: Jason's a legitimate hero. You no, know, oh, seriously. I, I, I will never forget the morning of uh, when your story broke. I'll never forget the feeling. It was like, this is a moment. Like, this is, this is history. And yeah. as you write, it goes against the gay stereotype.
2: That gay stereotype, uh, I think that people like me are trying to rewrite that stereotype and trying to uh, let people know that uh, you can't just put people in a
0: box. Rick. 10 years from now what does living life out loud look like for gay people for queer people for our community
3: i i'm really optimistic i i, I really am i i see this incremental change happening all around me um, you know i feel like we we had a uh, we had a 8 year setback uh, under the last administration in trying to peel away a lot of the progress that had been made but i but i think it's Irreversible, and I think that you know, over the next ten years, hopefully we can can realize, uh, especially in our industry, like the normality of the the human experience, and that we can, you know, that, that we can find a place for everybody at the table. And you know, it sounds corny, it sounds you know, but I I, I got to live my life that way, right? And you got to try every day to. Do whatever each one of us can do to move us just a little bit closer to that and be a be an ear when you can be an ear, be a hand when you can be a hand and uh, you know I I, re- I really am optimistic it's going to be good.
1: Keith. I'm not gay and I feel the same way you do Rick. I've had uh, amazing well let me. Not say it that way. <laughs> I was supposed to say it something bigger. Hey, I was about to say I've had an amazing gay experience hanging around LZ, but I don't want to so get you're Trying to
0: break some news. Up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've been in places with LZ over the last five years in different places that I probably would have never been able to experience. I've, I would have gone, but never been able to experience it. Like the fear, not even, I don't even wanna call it fear, just the comfort level in a five-year friendship with LZ that I've gotten, whether it's in a gay community or talking about, and even though my daughter and my niece and my sister, I mean, I I called LZ from Key West two year, three years ago. I was down in Key West and I'm like, LZ. <laughs> that was LZ. so funny. I, told him, I said, LZ, man. Where the hell you got me at? They're everywhere. I told her, I said, man, you guys are everywhere. I was like, I can't walk down the street without some dude whistling. You know, it's like. Ricky Jason, I was, this, this man goes to Key West and wants to know why there are gay people around. <laughs> I didn't know Key West, but those are the sort of things that for me, I see where there's going to be massive change over time. Because when I can, as a straight man, feel comfortable with no problems at all, I think more and more people, no matter what the last eight years have been like, of somebody trying to change the way this world was headed in the right direction, you know, our our last four years, so to speak, has been a disaster of everything that was pushed forward, made positive, that people trying to take back and make into a negative, it's going to be a positive moving forward. Like everything else, it just takes time. Jason, what does
0: Living Life Out Loud for our community look like to you in 10 years? I
2: wanna be optimistic, but at the end of the day, I'm pragmatic. I think as long as we keep seeing positive signs from uh, our leaders, whether they are business leaders, political leaders, um, leaders in industry, leaders in sports, uh, that the, that message uh, you know keeps coming, then I think we're going to continue to have, uh, you know, be on that track of, of optimism. But if you have leaders, particularly in the political world, who start targeting individuals, start targeting whether they be members of the transgender community. Right now, uh, the big issue going through states is uh, can transgender uh, girls, uh, transgender youth, can they play? Um, you know, that whole debate is happening right now, that the attacks are, are, are happening. Um, and you're going to need people to use their platform, the leaders, to step up uh, and use their platform speak out against um, discrimination in, in any and all forms um, so that those people who are on like the cusp of do i step forward do i not you know they're sort of taking the temperature of the room taking the temperature of the country um they need to keep seeing that you know that the signs are all
0: positive amen amen key rick jason
3: guys thank
0: you so much for your time man this has been absolutely hilarious it's been heartwarming it's been cathartic at times and I'm just so appreciative of what all three of you have done, you know, in this space to just try to make the world a better place for everybody. All right. Good luck, LCU um, me, you. me, you know that. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Big ups to my friends Jason, Rick, and Keyshawn. On the next episode of Life Out Loud, we talk with the Walking Dead actor, model, and overall hottie Daniel Newman about representation in Hollywood, his near death experience and substance abuse in the queer community.
1: That's a whole different conversation of socially supported alcoholism that we don't want to talk about because it's so normal.
0: You don't want to miss what he has to share. If you like the show so far, please give us a rating, leave a review. That really helps us get the word out. These conversations are fun, they're important, and that's why we want to engage as many people as possible. So please spread the word. Life Out Loud with LZ Granderson is a production of ABC Audio, produced by Trevor Hastings. Thanks to senior producers Tony Morrison and Robert Cepeda. What's up, boys? Associate producers are David Toledo and Madeline Wood. The executive producers of Life Out Loud are Eric Johnson and Liz Alessi. Special thanks to Mark Anthony Harris Gardner, John Howarth, Kieran McGurl, Elena Genevieve picard Joel Lyons, Jonathan Fagg, Joyita Bizras, and the Pride ABC and Own Television Station's Employee Resource Group. And a big shout-out to Josh Cohan, Elizabeth Russo, Ariel Chester, Ali Yang, Hal Arnal-Thiel, Brian Choi, and Stacia Dushisku. I'm LZ Granison. Girl, wasn't that good?